Welcome to I See Dad People, providing a voice to the modern dad around the world. Sharing stories, having a laugh, and cringing at Eugene's I don't know where he found them dad jokes. So let's go. It's Friday. Welcome to another episode of I See Dad People. Uh, we're just heading into week into the weekend, and uh, we have a great show lined up for you. Uh, myself and Eugene are going to have a little chat about home versus daycare, and right after that, we're going to have uh, Dr. Kieran O'Mahony, who's going to talk a little bit about neuroscience, but where it can help in the education space. He spent a lot of years studying the brain and understanding how we move kids from a fixed mindset into, in a, into more of an adaptive mindset. What would be something a parent could do next week, for example, um, that, that would help them, you know, uh, help so their... I'll give you two things. One of them is physical and one of them is emotional. And so the first one is... Take the child's age. If the child is six, we'll say, every seven minutes, the child should be up doing something physical, like really physical. What's your favorite day of the week? Ooh, I love Wednesday because on Wednesdays, I get to play music with my buddies in a bar. But guess what? It's been very difficult lately. (laughs) And so uh, we'll have that a little bit later, but now we'll kick off. Hi, Eugene. How are you doing? Well, Stevie, I am doing very good. Thanks very much. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, yeah, it's Friday. So, uh, um, so before we kick off with Kieran, we just have a couple of topics, and we're going to go through some of our random questions again. Um, our big one today, which we were talking through the week, is um, so we were talking about school schooling from home versus daycare versus actually having a, a nanny, for example, come in. Um, so we were just talking about that pre and, and post COVID, uh, but even pre pre COVID, it's kind of an interesting conversation to kind of get where mindsets. And I, I think me and Eugene were talking about it. We said we thought it'd be an interesting conversation. Um, so maybe I can kick off a bit, Eugene, in my little bit of history of that. So yeah, so we were uh, talking a little bit about whether uh, we'd choose, you know, daycare. Uh, a nanny and now we have homeschooling obviously a lot of people don't have the choice but it's still been an interesting conversation i thought i'd share a little bit of my story uh, when we started deciding it so uh when we were talking um at the start uh, we talked a little bit about joanna uh, maybe staying at home and not working or me staying at home not working that conversation didn't last long uh yeah my both myself and joanna and jai going out to work and so we decided that uh, probably stay at home wasn't an option for us at the time uh, and so then it was looking at the next option, which of course is daycare uh, or a nanny. And so for me personally, I just wasn't a big fan of the daycares at the start, and I was really pushing to get a nanny. It's costly in Seattle; uh, it is not cheap. But the nanny actually ends up being more complicated. We figured out, and for multiple reasons. Here was some of the reasons: was uh, holidays are, are tougher because you also have to take into consideration when if uh, when your nanny goes on a holiday rather whereas the daycare has set you know times off during the year it's a little easier to manage um that was one big differentiator the other differentiator was it, it was almost impossible to have a nanny just for one kid because the cost is just absolutely crazy so what most people do is they try and share a nanny between two families or two kids and so either the nanny for one week will travel to one house and the nanny the other week and then the other parent will bring the kid to that house so that was one option so we started to uh reach uh joanna started to reach out to some couples that she knew and it got complicated quick we realized that how easy we were like in, in what we were looking for. We were just looking for someone we trusted and had a good background, but all the other stuff was you know, But what we started to notice was the couples we were with were extremely particular about certain things. And it just became so, so difficult to do it that at the end, the nanny, we, we interviewed two nannies and we got the people, it was all set up. And then like in the last half an hour, it all went weird before we booked it. So we were like, no, we're done. So we went to the daycare and, um, and we went to this place uh, really near my work and actually Joanna's work. We went there and just happened a space opened up just like that. And we got in and I have to say it was probably the best decision we ever made. Like looking back, having a nanny for me, it was just like, um, there, our daughter is extremely social. And I think she really needs to be around other kids 
to pe- f- feel happy and to get that energy out. And so we really uh, found that was the right decision for us. How about you, Eugene? How was your thoughts? On- Cheers, Stevie. It's definitely an, an interesting conversation. And I think Savannah and I are, are kind of stuck in that space that yourself and Joanna were going around with, with um, talking about the next steps and what to do, whether to go for a nanny or, or, or daycare or, or to have um, Savannah continuing what she's doing. Um, so I'll, I'll take a couple of steps back. So it's it's been talked about before already, previously in the show, that, that, that the wee man was a bit of a hard work and we had a bit of history having to fly internationally and across different continents with him and and all of that. So he was he was suffering with, with gastrointestinal issues and had, had multiple tests on um, all of that. Could have been a lot worse, but, you know, it was still tough. And with that and with me flying back to Ireland occasionally to continue my work, um, Savannah ha- developed quite a, quite a tight and close bond with the wee man. And I think, I think that it is going to be a lot of hard work to go down the road of um, daycare. That's, that's one of the reasons why it might be hard work because Savannah's bond is so close with the little man. I'm not sure if, if, if it is an option for us. Um, home care could be an option, au pair and nanny, but going into daycare, I'm not sure. Um, when we were pregnant with Riley, we had a discussion about this of what steps we were going to take. And Savannah um, basically put her hand up. It's not something that I asked her to do. It's something that she dedicated herself to, was to be that, that stay-at-home mom. Um, personally, for myself, because it's all I know from being raised quite quite close uh, with with my um, Irish mammy, of course. Um, that's that's all that I know, and that's all that I knew. So I was quite happy with that approach and quite open if Savannah wanted to change her mind and go into work, all of that, no problem. I'd support it because I've, I've seen what Savannah does on a daily basis, and it is hard, hard work. When we made that decision together, obviously there was concerns pros and cons with everything. One of the concerns that we had of many was Savannah's mental health because that is that is a tough job. It's it's a tough gig looking after the man and you're staying at home, you're not getting any time for yourself while I'm working. Um and also a big thing is Riley with being introduced socially and social growth. That's a big one too because it's at home. Um and this was all before COVID. So to try and work on that, what, what we knew were going to be problems, we were coming up with things where Savannah was going to get to know uh, other mothers here in groups and get involved in things. And likewise, Riley would go on play dates and get introduced to other kids and stuff like that and just hang around. But everything has been turned up on its head on that side because obviously with social distancing and being new to the area, we know absolutely no one. We don't know anywhere to go, any place to go, places to go that we've researched or shut down. And it's hard to trust anyone now coming in, any nanny, any au pair, even trying to bring the little man into daycare for let's say two days of the week. We don't know the protocol. We don't know the people that they're hanging out with, whether they're practicing social distance. And so it's very, very hard to know what to do. So we are kind of stuck in limbo and waiting for the dust to settle a wee bit before making our decision. It's tough. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not the ideal time to be doing that because there's so much other... There's a lot of, there's a lot of factors to consider with all the options. You know, Do you stay at home? Do you get a nanny in or do you go to the daycare, right? There's so many factors in the normal state of affairs. But you throw COVID and everything on top of it, that's just, that's that's a major multiplier. Things when we were making our decision, just not, we're not sitting there thinking, 
you know, do, are they wearing a mask? Are you taking off masks? Are they being hygienic? Is, is it just taking one person that you're that side of it? And, you know, it's tough because I think the big one is the, you know, it's, it's hard. I think it's getting harder with your kid to, uh, when you, when you have a kid to make those decisions because you're thinking of all the scenarios that could happen. And that's the tough thing. Um, and so there, there is a moment I think where I think, you know, you have to make a decision between everyone and then you just got to stick to it. Whatever decision is the right decision for you at that moment. And it's different for everyone. There is no right or wrong. I think the only thing is right is that you and your partner agree that it's the right thing. I think that's the only right. As long as you agree, uh, then I think that's the most important thing because the rest I... of the world can to do it. It's just about you you guys. agree. It's about you guys and us guys agree. And I think that's the big thing. Yeah, big time. It's it's that communication between the partners because like each each different person is different. Like let's say Savannah's taken on a huge task, a massive task in 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 taking on this really pivotal role. But at the same side, like I know loads of people that um like would would rather be out in the working world, you know? Yeah. And like there's there, there's so many different factors to it. And I'm sure that that um Dr. Kieran O'Matany later probably hit on a couple of these things, how different people are, you know, can, can can thrive better at home and some people have to be out of home and that's just the way it works and that's the way it works between people. I think what's very important between the couples, this is a partnership. There's not one person alone stuck on their own constant communication. All right, Eugene, that was a that was a good conversation. It's definitely um it's definitely a more interesting one. So it'll be interesting to follow up with you in a couple of weeks or hopefully a couple of months when all of this bounds over, what kind of how things changed, you know, in a couple of months and what kind of decisions you made and how you made them. It's always good to share that because there's so many people in those uh, situations right now. I think it's great to have the conversations. So I think we'd kick off with our random questions. I know we have a conversation with Kieran and I've known Kieran for a while, so I'm, I'm assuming this is going to be a long one uh, with Kieran and a lot of long and interesting. So my first question for you, Eugene, tonight is do movies have the same power as books to change the world? Um, <clears throat> movies now have have more power than books i think books while they're definitely better there's no doubt it's just easier to watch a movie isn't it and with people struggling to get so much time into their day um sitting down and watching a movie that uh, maybe it might take a week or so to read the book it definitely has more power yeah, I think the fact that you spend more time in it as well, sometimes the more effort you put into something, the more it resonates with you. So if it takes you a week to read something uh, and you're really getting into detail because you can't you can't just sit back, you're, you're, you have to be active. I think that's one of the big things. I think you have to be active when you're reading a book, but you don't necessarily have to be active when you're watching a movie or as active. You're not as in it, right? You're not having to work to watch the movie, but I feel like you have to work to read a book. That's my always feeling as well. I don't yeah. find reading books as relaxing as I do watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It um, it probably beds more information to long term knowledge, where it's going to have a bigger personal impact. Whereas, you know, if you're watching a movie a half day at night, and <laughs> you know, you're kind of dozing off. Yeah, yeah true, true. You yeah, wake that's up, a fair but... point. What is the most annoying habit someone can have? I think one of the things that that frustrates me is grunting at the gym like extreme grunting that just goes straight through me. I don't know why, but it's like the, you know, the, everyone has that, you know, that like, yeah, but you know, the guy who's over there and he's like muscle bound and he's like list, uh, lifting like one kg and he's like screaming, like he's got uh, constipation and, uh, and you're just looking at him and you're like, we know you're lifted. You don't have, like, we know, we can see you. You're taking up half the gym. Look at the size of you. You don't need to shout on top of it and tell us that you're working out, right? That you're under pressure. That's probably the thing that annoys me. Uh, do you text more or call more and why? I text more. All of my family, some of my friends, they're, they're in Ireland and based elsewhere around the world. So it's hard to get people at the right time. So I usually drop in a message um, and, a text, you mean? Oh, yeah. 
dropping a text, a WhatsApp, <laughs> SMS, SMS. Yeah, I drop in one of those, and um, if the conversation is going back and forth, it's usually best to jump on a call. Um, my my personal preference, if if times were were synced up good, is to have a phone call. What were you really into as a kid? Uh, outdoor camping and uh, like that kind of stuff. Camping and uh, yeah, camping and outdoor activities. I was really into. Um, my parents know, uh, you know, my obsession with tents and camping and outdoor stuff and putting things and building things and putting things together. I was pretty obsessed with that. And I would go off on adventures out in the middle of nowhere uh, on bikes and stuff. So I was very adventurous. Mm. well you know what to say about camping don't you can be intense (laughs) (laughs) i'm going to go against protocol here okay i know that you're supposed to have a question for me but this one is too good if you had intro music what song would it be and why uh when i when i'd walk in somewhere yeah skinny love (laughs) (laughs) come on skinny love yeah skinny love uh if column's listening Hopefully you get a laugh out of that, Colm. All right. I think that's it. So we should probably head over to Kieran. Um, this has been a good one, Eugene. I'm looking forward to meeting with Kieran. I've known him for quite a while and uh, I'm, I'm sure he's excited. So we should check into the, the, we should pull him into the room. All right. Over to Kieran. So it's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody looking forward to the Hey everybody, uh, we're we're here today with uh, Kieran O'Mahony, uh, a, a guy I met here a couple of years ago. We worked together. Uh, welcome to the show, Kieran. Thanks, Stephen. It's good to be here. Yeah, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, Kieran? And and I believe you have four kids, correct? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your kids? Yeah, you know, strange thing. I, 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 introductions are always dodgy. And uh, I was one time I, I come out of the academic world, and I was at a university meeting, and somebody came up with the genius idea of you know, I'll introduce Steve and Steve introduces Eugene and Eugene introduces me. And so to do that, we have to talk to each other for a few minutes first and find out who we are. And so when this crazy woman got up to introduce me, she said, and I'd like to introduce Kiran. And Kiran has a child in every state. And everybody was like, Whoa. And I'm thinking, hey, I was never in Maine. And, and then she realized what she had said. And she said, oh, I mean, I mean, like in every state of age. So he's got one at age 30, <laughs> age 20. And I'm like, yeah, that's different from having 52 children. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I have uh, two, two children that came from Ireland and I have two children that were born in America. And um, so I have four children, three boys and a girl. And, um, yeah, we can talk about babies. Great. And, and maybe you can give a little bit of background, Kieran, because you have an interesting profession. So I've, I've worked for you a little bit. Yeah. So, so um, I, I started off in Ireland. I always knew I was going to do education and, and, and I was a good teacher. And I taught in an inner city boys school in Cork City. And, um, you know, the average class size at that time was 47. Kids aged 16, 17, 18 and 19. Kids who couldn't finish school were still in there at 19. And there was not much out there for them at the time. It was back in the late 70s. <clears throat> and um, I remember um, um, at one point thinking, uh, you know, this is, this, is, this is just crazy. We don't know enough to be able to teach these kids. They don't want to be taught in the first place. And school was, was not that very successful. And at that time, they streamed classes. That means that there was A, A1, A2, A3, A4. And so children were labeled and stratified based on their intellect. And so kids coming in from high poverty or high aces ended up in the lower streams. And as a young teacher, I ended up with all the lower stream kids. And these kids could barely read, could barely write. They didn't want to read or write. They didn't have any interest in doing most of the academic stuff that we were supposed to teach them. And I learned very quickly that if I wanted to engage these, you know, 47 crazy young boys, the best thing to do was to get them outside, get them doing something physical, and through that physical activity, with a lot of fun, you could get some, them to do some you know, thinking, critical thinking, original thinking, and then sometimes you could get them to read and write and other things as well. And, and from there, um, I began to build a kind of a methodology that seemed to work for me. And then it all came crashing down when uh, back in the late 70s, there was a huge episode of boys committing suicide. 
And I had a 13-year-old boy in my class that committed suicide on the very first day of school uh, on, his day, on his birthday. He was 13 years old and he committed suicide. His dad bought him a beautiful blue bicycle and he found him hanging in his closet. And that just ripped my world apart. I had no idea how to deal with that. I, and the sad part is I knew that that kid uh, six months earlier in, before the summer vacation, I knew he was having difficulties and he told me that he was being bullied and he was afraid of school. And I thought, oh, well, we can fix that. I mean, that's easy. And then we didn't get the opportunity to fix it because he committed suicide. And so at that point, I thought, I need to get out of here. I need to figure out more. And I came to, well, I was a little bit naive at the time, but a place that says things like, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, they have to have the answer. I thought they have to know about suicides and how to how to raise children properly. So I came here um, thinking that I'd find the answer. And I came for one weekend, that was in 1982, and hey, I'm still here. And it took me the next, what, 40 years to figure out the answers. Yeah, that's interesting. What, what days did you move over here? Exactly, what <laughs> day did you fly in? I know this is important because when you said your birthday a number of years ago, I said, hey, that's my birthday too. And you said, well, we're not the same age. So yeah, well, I was, I was, uh, 30 years old when I came here, and that's my birthday, which was December 22nd, 1982. Yeah, the day I was born was the day you came here, which, which we found out as we worked a little bit together. Um, to, so you, did you move to Seattle, actually? Was that no, where you dropped? No, no, no. no where, where did you drop? I was, it was such a shock to find a place with a name like Seattle. I mean, I, I arrived into uh, San Francisco. That's where I came. And the, the day I flew in, there was a huge electric storm, and the city was in a blackout. And looking out of the plane, it looked like a very small place because there was a few lights here and there. I thought, oh, this is a good little size town. I could stay here. And then the next day I thought, oh, my God, this place <laughs> is crazy. It's too big. And, and so I went to, I thought the best thing to do was go, to, go south. I went to Los Angeles. That was a bigger mistake. And so from there, I began to move north. And I was actually on my way to Alaska, but I ran out of money in Seattle. I had $4 left when I got to Seattle. That's, that's, that, that's a crazy story. And so, um, yeah, Eugene would have loved that. Eugene loves nothing better than to sit out looking at lightning storms. That, that, that is one of his favorite things. There, and that, that is a bit of sarcasm thrown in there. But. So what kind, of, what kind of changes have you seen here, Kieran, since, since, you, since you came in on that day? Have you seen what kind of positive, negative changes have you seen, you know, around, even around education, maybe being a dad? What, what are the biggest changes you've seen over that time since, since you, were, you, you came here? Yeah, um, so a lot, a lot of things, in fact, because I've been here now like 37, 38 years, and, and I've been in this country longer than I've been in Ireland because I left when I was 30. And so um, that's a big shock to me because I never planned to do that. I, I had planned to be back in Ireland after two or three years. And, um, and then I, as, I, as I began to get engaged in um, raising my children here and trying to figure out the answer to the solution that I was, look, the, the, that question I had when I came. Um, suddenly the years just passed and, um, and I realized that I had, I had kind of grown roots here. I, I thought I was a kind of a rootless person, R-O-O-T, because I thought I could live anywhere. But in fact, when I tried to live in Santa Cruz or in Chicago, I realized Seattle is my home. And, and yeah. that whole thing about identity, my daughter came back from Ireland one time, she was born here even though she thinks she's Irish and she studied in Trinity college and she, she loved to travel. She has cousins over there that are closer to her than anybody in Seattle. And, um, and she uh, asked me one time, where's home? And, and nobody had ever asked me that before. She said, where is home? And I thought, wow. And then I thought, well, look at home is wherever you are talking to her so that she knew that I was her home. And, and uh, that was a big deal for her because she didn't know if home was Ireland or Seattle or was it with mom who's now living with me or with dad. And, and so that, that's a big deal about identity. When you, when, you, when you uproot from one place and come to another place, you do still have to have a place you call home. And even though I call Ireland home, when I'm there, I know that I'm not going to be there long. And, I, yeah. and that's, that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one. It's... I, I struggle with that one a lot, you know, because I still consider Ireland home. But at times when I'm in Ireland, <laughs> I consider my house I'm living in right now home. And, you know, and you're, it's because it, there is a mental there's a mental safety factor of going home. There's something that clicks, I think, with humans when they go home, you know, even when you're going on vacation. 
even how great the vacation is, there's something about safety or security when you walk in your front door and you sit in your couch and it's home. There, there's a kind of a, a switch that flicks, uh, I think, at least for me, at least. Yeah, in my world, there's a thing called Maslow's hierarchy. And a lot of people know Maslow. It was 1940s or so he did this research. And the sad thing about the research is that it's basically in a, a, a very poorly conducted research and he basically used his own friends, his buddies, it's like you and Eugene and a bunch of your friends to figure out what self-actualization is all about. And, and from that, he built this beautiful hierarchy, which is a, right, a really nice concept of um, the things you need first, the second, third, fourth, and fifth to get to that self-actualization. And so he, he put down at the bottom this thing about um, the, the, like a home and a place where food is and for security and all that. So that's your, your basic physiological needs. And then up above that, he put a few other things and safety was in the middle. And on top of that, then self-actualization. And we know today that that's all wrong. And we, that's a big deal because that has completely transposed everything I know about education. And, and particularly in answering that question about that 13-year-old kid who committed suicide, why was he in a position where he didn't have you know, he had a great house, lovely mom and dad. He had a beautiful bicycle for his 13th birthday. And still, he, he was in a place where he had to commit suicide. And, and the point is that uh, we know because of the research that's happened in the last number of years, and I feel very grateful that I'm in this country where the research is happening. In fact, this research happened just across the border in UBC, up in Vancouver, British Columbia. And, um, and they, it shows that we look at children today not as... Uh, good or bad children are capable children. We look at children through the lens of, of uh, the ANS reactivity, autonomic nervous system reactivity. And that's something that we're all born with. So a child comes into the world born hardwired to have either a low or a high ANS reactivity. That means they're going to be resilient children or they're going to be very sensitive children, hypervigilant children or easily managed children. And so if you happen to have a child that's high, uh, high ANS reactivity, they're going to be very expensive. You'll be at the doctors a lot. You'll be at the school a lot because they'll be at the principal's office. They'll be in detention. They'll be in trouble at school. Even though the kid is a fabulous kid, can do all kinds of things, they end up in trouble all the time. They want to play soccer and you, go, you buy all the gear and they, they go out in the field. They look fantastic. Something happens. The referee blows the whistle and they say to you, I'm not playing any more soccer. He said, but I just spent $1,000 on all your gear. He said, no, I'm going to play tennis. So then you go out and you buy all the, the rackets and the gear, and they go out in the field or in the court, and they hit the ball, and suddenly they say, I don't want to play soccer or tennis anymore. And you say, well, I just bought all the gear. And these kids are very expensive, but they're basically high ANS reactivity kids. We have them, and if we don't greenhouse them, that means that we don't take care of the kids in their, in their, in their environment. We're going to have wilted children, wilted plants. We call them orchids. And, and this is something that, that's changed my life dramatically. That's the big thing that for me has changed in the world is understanding how I look at children, how I look at the children through the lens of the neuroscience in the brain. And, and I feel very fortunate that I was able to do that. And I was in the right place at the right time because it was at the University of Washington to the College of Education and the School of Nursing. So you, you have the orchid and then I believe the dandelion is kind of what you use to def just to put the, a familiar uh, visual around right, the two right. types of kids. So now that we're in our current situation with COVID-19 and everyone's inside, I'm assuming that this, this, the impact of uh, having a kid who's an orchid is, is, is multiplied. Is, is this the case? I, I mean, and now that we move forward into next year with a lot of schools doing yeah. uh, online learning. How, how, is that, how is that going to shape things? And uh, what kind of so, advice do you have around that? <laughs> yeah, very interesting, great question, because COVID changed everything, of course, in terms of uh, not just work, but also school. And in the old days, when I say old days, I'm talking six months ago, it was in local, it was in local parentis. You gave your child to the teacher in the place of the parent. So the parent gave the child away and the parent went off to work or stayed at home, whatever. And, and some parents actually went to school and were hovering over the children in school. Uh, again, that's another crisis, another problem. But, but the thing is that now you're not in local parentis anymore because the parent is in the home with the child and the teacher's coming in. 
It's a very different model. And the model has a lot of crisis with it in terms of um, safety, because remember, Maslow's hierarchy is wrong. It's not about having a nice home and a nice food and all that. It's about safety. Number one is safety. And especially for the child uh, who has the high ANS reactivity, if they don't feel safe in school, they don't do well in school. If they don't feel safe at home, they don't do well at home or in school. And so the point is now suddenly mom and dad, whoever's at home, will say the guardian, the guardian at home with the child um, has, the, has the situation where they have to make the safety, but also manage the child's attention and focus and logging on and all that stuff. And the teacher's coming in from the outside and the teacher has uh, su supposedly the, in the past create the safety and, and also the content. And so that's a very complicated place to be. The good news is this, the children who are autonomic nervous system, high reactivity, these are my very hypervigilant, very sensitive children. They do fantastic when they're not in school. They do fantastic because suddenly they're not being compared with other children. They're not being stratified and labeled. They're not being told that, you know, what if you don't do this, I'm gonna make you sit over there. Because these kids are already hypervigilant and 80% of the time they're in their reactive brain, which, and the only thing they've got in their reactive brain is freeze, fight, and flight. And so they spend most of their lives in freeze, fight, or flight. And that's a very difficult place to learn. In fact, you can't learn if you're in there. The only thing that's growing in the brain is the amygdala, which is your fear center. And so these children suddenly at home on the computer with some control over the system, they're doing fantastic. So my little boy who's 16, who hates school because he doesn't want to be compared with other kids, he's very bright. And at home, he does fantastic because dad is supporting him. And I don't care if, he, if he's misbehaving or anything, I'm there to support him. I'm, I'm there to create that safety place. And so he's not only sleeping better, he's growing better and he's having more attention and he's learning fantastic. So, so all that stratification labeling goes away because the school is where that happens. And for 50% of our children, the labeling and stratification completely shuts them down. So if there's something wrong with your child in school, it's probably the school, not the child. That, that's super interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Actually, I'd be interested in your comments. So I was watching Good Morning America the other morning. I was away for a couple of days uh, and I was just watching it on a, and they were giving advice to parents. And it, it was interesting because something you said, and they said the most important thing you can give your kid is a quiet space in the house. And what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, most houses don't have quiet space. Yeah. Do you know what I, mean? I mean, we're talking about in a society uh, today that's so um, intense and with so much poverty and with so much, uh, you know what ACEs are, adverse childhood experiences. When you've got ACEs happening in a home, there is no safe place. And that's the only thing about school that was good, that away from home, there was sometimes, especially teachers that we have a chance to help learn about their brains, those teachers, that was the only safe place that the children had. And now they're stuck in home with sometimes a very contentious home. Dad's out of work. Mom is upset. There's five other kids screaming around and, and they, they need a safe place. Well, safe place sometimes is in that you've got a headset on. Maybe that's the only safe place. And, and um, you know, it's, 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 it's impossible to say, you know, give the child a quiet, safe space. It's, it, it just won't happen. So, Kieran. I've just been sitting back and listening to all of this information, trying to take it in. I found it absolutely fascinating. And it got me thinking about my own personal fears when it comes to education, virtual or in person. I, to this day, have a fear of putting up my hand to ask or answer a question uh, for fear of the question not being good enough for a fear of getting the uh, question wrong and in turn then being labeled because um I'm, I'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure i would have been labeled in school so even now when i'm doing virtual courses i ask if the course can be recorded so i can go back and learn in my own time in my own way uh, which i know works for me so I, I've somewhat naturally adapted. So the question is, Kieran, does this behavior 
maybe that's not the right word. Let's say, let's say this fear. Does this last with you throughout your lifetime, or is there a switch for for want of a better word? Yeah, so so that's a really great question, and and here's the answer. And I shouldn't say this, but I will anyway. Um, I, I'm going to mention some companies, and I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway. The the children at age two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine that have still uh, they're still dysregulated. They haven't learned how to co-regulate and self-regulate. Those children who haven't figured out how to connect the cerebellum with the limbic brain and the prefrontal cortex, that's the three brains we have. If they're not put together properly, then you're going to have a, what we call EFI, executive function impairment. Well, guess what? Those kids grow up and they get jobs at Nike, at Boeing, at Amazon, at Microsoft. They're still dysfunctional. And now it costs HR a fortune. Well, that's what I do today. I work with Nike. I work with Aetna with CVS, Aetna with Silicon Valley Bank, these companies, because these people, they're impossible to, they can't stay on, on, on task, they can't focus, they can't pay attention, they can't work with their, they can collaborate, they can initiate tasks, they can't finish tasks, and they cost a fortune. And so companies are losing money on stuff that should have been fixed in schools. It's so easy to fix this, but you have to know the, the brain. You have to understand the neuroscience of what's going on in the child's brain. It's very simple once you know it. And it took me 40 years to figure it out. In fact, I wasn't even looking at neuroscience. It was a complete accident that somebody said, hey, we have a project, we need your help, can you help us? And I got to work with the neuroscientists who knew everything about attention, about cognition, about comprehension, about um, exercise, about all of those things that we need to know about children. And once you do, it changes everything. So yeah, it does stay with you your whole life, in fact. Everything we do at zero to three, and on all the way up to um, infant school and, and grade school stays with you right through life. And so that's a big deal because if, if we're doing it wrong, which we are mostly, then we're damaging your prospects for life. And that's a big deal. Oh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that. I, I, I think when you asked that question, Eugene, I started <laughs> to see to to see some similarities and things you know and even even put me back in the classroom <laughs> back being a kid and you start you start to you start to, to remember things that i didn't remember before you know and some of the challenges you have and actually the the label i, I remember being put next to certain pe like kids being paired together because of the label that was put on them you know and you'd have the high performing versus they, they'd try and pair people together but they'd be very vocal about it uh they, they, there was no like subtlety about it it was like you go over and sit next to that kid because that kid's going crazy over there you're not you go sit next to him and there was a lot of that but it was all very vocal which is super interesting because the, everyone was fully aware there was no subtlety nothing it was very out in the open so that, that was that that image just came into my head there which i hadn't thought about for a long time what would be something if there's a parent at home we'll start with the parents if there's a parent at home next week what would be something they could do to start uh to start caring like something small taking a small step what what what, what might you recommend for them to get started so what we'll do actually we share we'll share your the websites and things like that on the social yeah. media people can check out but what would be something a parent could do next week for example um that that would help them you know uh Help so there. I'll give you two things. One of them is physical and one of them is emotional. And so the first one is take the child's age. If the child is six, we'll say every seven minutes, the child should be up doing something physical, like really physical, fun, physical stuff. If the child is 10, every 11 minutes. So age plus one, there's a simple thing to do. If the, if the kid is sitting back like this passively, then you're wasting your time. Shouldn't be there. And that's what happens. And not only that, but the kid is sitting there looking at the class and, and he has his phone on the knee and he's texting somebody else. So he's not even in the class. He's, and a lot of these kids can process in four dimensions so they can, they can be on their phones talking to their buddies and you still listen to the teacher. They can do that, but it's having a big impact on their focus and their attention. And, and we also know it, it impacts their telomeres. I, and I, I know that most people don't know, even know what a telomere is, but the telomeres are the pieces of our, our system, every single chromosome has a telomere and the telomere is how we age. And when you have premature aging happening, it's because your telomeres are being worn out. When you're doing all that stuff on the same minute, you, every second you're on, 
I'm on the Zoom and I'm also texting my buddies here and I'm trying to keep an eye on my mom and I'm doing this. All that stuff I can do because I'm processing in four dimensions, but it's wearing off my telomeres. We're giving these kids a very bad start in life when that happens. So this single tasking is important. The second thing I want to give you is um, for a mom or a dad, with the child, think about appetite over aptitude. Appetite over aptitude. In other words, what does the child like to do? I like to climb trees. Good. Well, find out what that child likes to do and then focus on that. Now, I don't mean stick him out and climb a tree. I'm saying when you're teaching him or doing anything, talk about the climbing trees or maybe the dog, he likes a dog or a cat or maybe, he, you know, find the child's appetite. Don't force them to do aptitude. I want you to become a great physicist. Well, I love to read books. Let's read books about physics. You see what I'm getting at? Ap aptitude is not the way to go and that's what academics is all about go about the appetite see what the child loves to do and follow that zone so um no that that's that's great advice karen um and i think we'd love to have you on further on in the show again uh, maybe in a couple episodes to, to talk about it and we'll give everyone share everyone the material but you know, uh, there's also, you, you work a lot with teachers. Maybe we can just finish off a little bit with teachers. And we, I, I know for sure we have a couple of teachers that listen yeah. in. Um, yeah. how, would, how, would, how would it, so you said something earlier on about the 11 minutes, you know, uh, the 10-year-old every 11 minutes. So that's tough for parents to do every 11 minutes, right? Uh, at least if it's, they have to do every 11 minutes. If you're on a, an hour conference call, right? Let, let's, there, there's a reality around it, right? And, and I think for parents in COVID, it has to work around the reality of situations, right? Because you, if you're, my opinion here is, and we've talked a lot about this, if you're stressed out doing the 11 minutes, then you're not probably going to be in a really good mind state for your kid and your kid's going to sense your stress. And, and I'm assuming oh, that that's yeah. going to affect them, right? Because back yeah. to the safety thing. So yeah. what kind of recommendations do, I mean, is, is this, so in this online learning world, is, is this more about, you know, the teachers becoming aware because the teachers are the ones around the other side of the screen, you know, the 11 minutes. They, my assumption here is that they have to start building this into their plans, you know, that it's not an hour sitting there looking at slides yeah. where the kid's just not interested, where it has to be built into the actual activities. Is that, is that where it really starts uh, to impact? Yeah, so you know, because you, you, were, you worked with me in the past, you know that I have a pedagogic model that is designed for children to be active and that, and, and that builds in the whole process. So if you're using the model, then you don't even have to think about it. It's already in there. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, when you have a child and, and he's sitting or she's sitting down in front of your computer or her computer, then that child has the blood in the wrong part of the body. It's down here in the, in, in the thighs. The blood needs to be up here. And so I, I stand in front of you. You can see me. I'm standing. I'm not, I'm not sitting. I don't sit in front of a computer because if I did, the blood would be in the wrong place. I want the blood up here because, you know, at my age, I have to get the blood up there. <laughs> and, and that's it. I'm, I'm physically active. Because we know that the number one thing for synaptogenesis, for that means growing the synapses that make the connections in the brain, is physical activity and good blood flow up here. And you That's can do that. Children, children do it naturally, but you can focus it uh, to happen as well. Be That's super interesting. You, uh, sorry. That's super interesting, Kieran, because actually what that makes me think, because we talked a lot about kids here, but like... This is, this is advice for parents, uh, for adults as well, right? There's, there's a lot to be learned from an adult in your day to day. You know, as I said, once when we went through some of these activities and we built out the board, which we'll, we'll share with people, you know, I was, I was testing some of the stuff out when I was at work. And, you know, one thing that hit me is now that we're sitting at her desk all day, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, I don't have to go from meeting room to meeting room and I don't have to lose 10 minutes. But what just dawned on me actually is, that actual 10 minutes was getting the blood moving, running up the stairs, getting to the next, <laughs> trying to get to the next meeting, trying to strategize how to get to the next room as quickly as possible. Uh, but that was actually, actually probably bringing you into that room and everyone else was more awake and more alert and ready for the meeting, not knowing that, that yeah. even that five minutes of moving was actually helping people, right? Yeah. It, it, that is, that's what I'm hear, hearing as well. It's like, but we're missing that now because we're literally, we're literally just 
you know, we're sitting at her desk, right? Device. Yeah, we're attached to this device. And, and this is like an extension to our brain. It's like it's sitting here outside my brain. It's part of me. All my memories are in here. I don't have to remember phone numbers anymore. The point yeah. is that most of my teachers, I, I deal with thousands and thousands of teachers, and most of them tell me that this Zoom thing is killing them. This, uh, you know, Microsoft Teams, all that stuff is killing them because they're sitting down all day long. Well, say, get up and walk. <laughs> Get up and dance. Be be active because you don't have to be a slave to the machine. And 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 the point is, we flipped the class. Uh, I I just spent the entire summer from March until last week teaching teachers how to flip the class. In other words, I'm going to give you 10 minutes of Zoom time, and then you're going to be up for the next 20 minutes doing your own stuff with this information I just gave you. And then we're going to come back for 10 more minutes after that. So get up and go out and do something. And the kids do that and they come back and they sign back on. And they say, whoa, we solved this, the, the crisis you just gave us. So yeah, you can, you can make classes a lot of fun and engage children with their brains and have the blood flowing and have them active as well. And you'll do a lot of, there'll be a lot more um, good results from that because the children are not being labeled and stratified like they are in the classroom. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, actually, with uh, Apple are, are working hard on their AR uh, glasses. And I think I, I believe that AR is the way to go, augmented reality, not virtual sure. reality. Sure. And just what you just said there for teachers, I mean, it opens up a whole new world if at some stage in the future that we do have access to that because you can actually be more involved in your environment. You can be outside, you can do yeah. places and you can still be. And so you don't have to be sitting at your desk. So if you right. want to walk or go for a walk, you can imagine the possibilities to keep moving when AR becomes more of a thing where, you know, you can use the environment around you while you can still be plugged in. It'll, it'll open up more possibilities if, if right, they yeah. pull this off. So that, that's going to get very interesting. Yeah, 20 years ago, we were playing with AR at the university. We loved it. We thought it had great potential, but I think it's time is coming. You're right. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I have never. Yeah. The, the big crisis still is the home because in the home, how are you going to take five screaming kids? Two of them are you know, still not able to talk. They're still crawling and they're in the room and you're trying to learn at the same time. That whole idea of being able to disambiguate all of the craziness from the home and have school be in your home. Because home is not supposed to be school. Say school is supposed to be school, and so children yeah. are confused about that. The other thing is, with COVID, it's very hard to know what day of the week it is, because we don't have any anchors anymore. We've lost all our anchors. We used to get up on Mondays and go there, and do that, and come back on Friday. And You know what I'm saying? Now we don't know if it's Tuesday or, or, or Monday, or, or is it next week, or is it last week? It's like, oh my God. Uh, here's something yeah. interesting. People have passed away in Ireland um, family members belong to me and every now and then I have to try and remind myself are they alive or dead because I don't there was no funeral I wasn't there there was no closure and so the brain hasn't hasn't put them away yet it turns out which is even more scary it turns out that because of COVID uh, all of the elders in my family the male elders passed away and I'm now the elders like oh my god I wasn't expecting that and I certainly don't want it but there it is and, and so life changes and, and our brain has to adjust. But unless we have some kind of physical anchors, like a funeral, like a, a visit to a house and talk to somebody about a loss, then you don't have it. It's just words. And to make it real is a big deal. And so that's what's happening with children in classrooms today in, at home. It's not school. It's not home. It's something in between. And there are no anchors anymore. So that we're creating new anchors for kids. Thanks very much, Karen. It, it's it's honestly been a very very fascinating listen, and it's after opening my mind up to a lot of things. It's a session that I'm going to listen to probably over and over because I've missed out on a bit of it with my connection. Um, but for for any other listeners that will be listening in, I do know that we will be sharing some of your information, like for websites to to look at and whatnot. But if there is anything now off the top of your head that parents could do to start looking into this way of thinking around education? What would be a good source to go to? Uh, yeah, that's, that's crazy. I, I, I hate to do this, but um, on my wall here, I'm just, I just finished this crazy book I've been writing for five years, and it's at the publishers in, New, it's in London, actually, at Rutledge. Rutledge is the number one academic publisher but they insisted that this would be written for the parents 
level. And so there's 21 chapters and each chapter details what one should be doing with their children in a, in a world of COVID, but also in a world of 21, 21st century skills. So I'll send you the table of contents and I'll send you a cover. You can, you can share that stuff up if you want. But, but yeah, yeah the, there is no one place because it's so evolved in the last three or four years. I mean, this, this information about telomeres is only two years old. We learned last year about long-term potentiation. Oh my God, long-term potentiation changes everything. And nobody knows it. 99.99% of teachers never even heard of long-term potentiation. Yet it's the most important thing that everybody needs to know about how the brain works and how children learn. And so this is stuff that's so brand new and, and it's evolving because we, we have access now with technology to see inside in the brain in 3D. That's a big deal. And, and turning that into practice and process then in this classroom, in the home and in the school makes all the difference. Great. Um, so th thank you, Kieran, for uh, joining us today. Uh, we're we're going to pass it over to Eugene because we couldn't finish this uh, episode without a, a lighter side. So what we're going to do is first Eugene's going to share a, Jake, a joke or two, and then we're going to go in what we call the rapid fire round, where we ask you a couple of questions uh, and, and see what your answers are. So Eugene, do you want to kick us off with um, let, let's, let's, uh, let's, uh, one of your dad jokes? I don't know where you found them. You used to have better jokes before you were a dad. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Ready for act, let's go. So I went on to Google recently and I typed cigarette lighter into the Google search. It returned 15,000 matches. <laughs> <laughs> All John Lennon's memorabilia has just gone up on eBay. Imagine all the PayPal. Oh. <laughs> I just logged on to Swimming World's website and it asked me to accept cookies. I think it's a test. It's time for the rapid fire round. Are you ready? Oh, I get it. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, start the clock. Kieran, what is your favorite movie and book? Ah, favorite book is uh, Mama's Last Hug by Friends the Wall. It's absolutely unreal. And my favorite movie has to be Into the West. What's your favorite day of the week? Ooh, I love Wednesday because on Wednesdays I get to play music with my buddies in a bar. But guess what? It's been very difficult lately. <laughs> <laughs> what instrument do you play? I play the Ilum Pipes, Irish Ilum Pipes. What's your favorite place in Ireland? Ah, there's a, there's a beautiful island off um, up by Clifton and you can get on it at low tide and you got eight hours before you have to get off it again when you can walk around it in that time and it's just absolutely you have to watch the tides and not get stuck would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals oh I'd like to talk to animals can you say something in the Irish language Yes, I can. <laughs> oh, hoig. Oh, hoig is, is a phrase we use, especially around Dingle. And it's like there's a from the north. In other words, there's either a cold, clear, rasping wind or the people from the north are better. But that's the north of the peninsula, not the north of Ireland. And so, yeah. I was fostered out as a child. Yeah, my mom wanted me to have Irish. She didn't have any. And so she gave me away to another family. And I loved it. I, I spent six months of the year with them and six months at home. And I loved both families. And I still have, you know, and I'm the only one in my family who can speak Irish. Would you rather invisibility or super strength? Ooh, invisibility. What's your favorite quote of all time? Uh, I got it this morning. I was at a call this morning at 5 a.m. in India. Today in India is Teacher's Day. They celebrate teachers like millions of teachers. And uh, I was teaching to a bunch of, of the, uh, what I call early adapters in India and in uh, Abu Dhabi and in Sri Lanka and a whole bunch of places. 
Um, and out of that came somebody who said to me, if you want to walk fast, walk alone. If you want to walk far, walk with people. And I thought, that's the only way to do it. We can't do this alone. What's your favorite part of the brain? Ah, so, so for me, the reticular activating system, it's a small clump of neurons right here at the back of the, right near the brainstem. And that can be your worst enemy or your best friend. If you understood how the reticular activating system worked, you would do everything slightly different. And that's a big deal. And so what it does is it confirms your beliefs. So if you think and think and imagine this as a child at home, I'm no good, I can't do math. Well, your brain will confirm it for you all day long. See, I told you, you're no good. So why try? If you, if you think, I love math, I'm gonna be fantastic at mathematics, I'm gonna be a genius at mathematics, your brain will confirm it all day long. See, look at that, you're good at math. Your brain is either your enemy or your friend based on your reticular activating system. We call it the RAS. And for me, the risiness is all. Um, yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? And the way that, that like growing up as a child, what, what I would have been familiar to, like was the, the cartoons where they paint this little devil on your shoulder and a little angel on right. the other one. Right. And, and that's kind of what it is, but it's the science that's, behind that's it. That's interesting, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I like that. If, if you could travel back in time, what period would you go to? Oh, I want to go back and I want to see, I want to go to the burn and I want to see what the hell they were doing with that, um, that when they were building those megalithic tombs, you know, those things. That, oh, that, yes. yeah. I want to, I want to be back there to see what was the burn like that time. What were they doing? What, what were those people doing? You know, go out to the, uh, go out to the Inishmore and go up onto the, um, the big, Ford and up there and see what the hell they were doing. I want to know these 10,000 year old people. What's the place you most want to travel to? Ah, yeah. So <laughs> Besides Waterford. No, 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 no. <laughs> I've been to Waterford. We had a good time there. <laughs> I, I, I want to go. There's an island off the coast of Brazil. It's the very first place that, um, that um, uh, Vespucci, he, 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 he mapped and he wrote about Vespucci was with, he came just after Columbus and he got, he got, um, ship, not shipwrecked, but he got uh, becalmed off the island and he went to shore and he, and he mapped it. And it's an absolutely exquisite little island. And it's off the coast of Brazil, about 300 miles. You can fly into it. Nobody knows about it. And I want to go there cause I have a book to write. Good. <laughs> yeah. Nobody knows about it just now, but we'll see about the uh, <laughs> success of our, of our uh, podcast. Swimming, swimming, swimming. <laughs> there are people tagging you in pictures here and saying, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> great beaches, great people, lovely. What does a child need to be happy? Yeah, the child, this is simple. Every child needs that sense of belonging. And there's a thing called failure to thrive. Even a baby in an orphanage, if they don't get enough, we call it rat licking because rats, mama rats licks their baby rats. With hugging and holding and touching and just cooing with the baby. If you don't do that, the baby will refuse to eat. This is, this is scientific proof that babies will, will not thrive unless they get that sense of belonging and love. And it's basically the neurotransmitter oxytocin. When a mother is breastfeeding, it's all oxytocin. It turns out that if two men ad adopt a child and they, and they take care of a baby, an infant, the men create oxytocin too, just like women who are breastfeeding. It's interesting. The brain understands that. Children need mm. oxytocin. That's the only thing. Yeah, I've seen something like that. It was, it was a show, I think. It was on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. It's called, it's called uh, Baby. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, it, it, that, that science is brilliant. I love that. I follow that. What's your favorite childhood TV show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up in, in Cork and we didn't have electricity or anything for a long time. So uh, it's the I, same as Waterford. Yeah, I was in my teens before we saw TV and, and we didn't understand advertising or anything like that. It, was like, it, it made no sense. But for me, I loved when it came on and there was someone like Seamus and us playing the Illum Pipes. I was like drawn like a beat to it. It was like to, it was incredible to hear him talk and play music and the fact that I could hear him and listen to him in my own house. I, I have a, a, a selfish Irish person question, which is, which is something that is always up for debate with myself whenever I'm back home. 
Barry's tea bags or Lion's tea bags? <laughs> Barry's, of course. I have them in the kitchen right behind me. Oh, oh my man. Yeah, I'm on Barry's as well now. Yeah. They're a rare commodity here, but yeah, you have to be careful with your tea bags. Do you hang? Do you do you keep them longer? Do you hang them on the clothesline at the back? I absolutely do. There's a whole line <laughs> out there right now. Stay out of my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. I love that. I love hearing little stories about that. You know, with especially expats and Irish, obviously that that we hold dear yeah. to ourselves. The little yeah. stories like that to kind of keep us that bit That's Irish. Cute. If, if, you, if you come to my house, you have to bring some black pudding or else you're not allowed in. Most famous person you have ever met? Oh, I met, um, let's see, oh boy. Um, I, I lined up for uh, hours and hours and hours to meet Michael Angiante, who wrote the, the, and the, the um, he, he wrote a lot of poetry, but the book, um, what's the book that, um, you know, the, the airplanes over the deserts, the Second World War. Uh, anyway, he's a brilliant writer. He's from Sri Lanka. And I was in a book show and I, I lined up for a long time. And when I got up to the front and I got to talk to him, he was a nightmare. I couldn't believe how bad it was. <laughs> My hero turned out to be a disaster. Uh, the, what was the name of the movie? It's a movie and a great book. The, um, uh, it'll come to me in a second. Uh, what about, uh, do you, have you met any famous musicians? Ah, well, I, 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 I toured with the Chieftains for many years. I, I, I had a Really? Dance. Yeah. And so, oh. so it was always fun to meet Paddy Minoni. I met Paddy Minoni one day in Tacoma, which is about 30 miles south of here. I was walking down the street and I bumped into Paddy Minoni and I said, hey, Paddy. And he goes, I thought, he says, are we in Seattle? <laughs> <laughs> no, Paddy, you're in Tacoma. Again, you know, people who travel a lot, they don't have the anchors. And so his brain thought, oh, Kiran, Seattle. So, yeah, there was a, we meet a lot of, I, I, I met, um, we were playing up in the Queen Elizabeth Theatre up in BC, and we met um, Led Zeppelin. All of them came backstage. We had a big party afterwards. It was, you know, that kind of stuff happened. When you, <laughs> wow. tra when you travel with Paddy Maloney, things happen. You, you had a good story you told me actually about an Irish pub here in Seattle that you were asked to stop to leave another band to play. Oh yeah, 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 that's, yeah. That was my that's my favorite story because yeah, yeah. it's actually so one we, of my favorite bands we, ever. We were in the it was Tuesday night, it was in the Dubliner in Fremont, and we were playing. And suddenly the owner came over and says, uh, "You guys have to stop playing. We've got another band." And they they pulled down the blinds, they closed the doors, and in came Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac, and it was, it was and of course the band the, the bar was owned by by. Um, Brian Patton, who was married to Jody Allen and Paul Allen and Friedman Mac are buddies. And so Paul Allen brought them in and he went up on stage and played with them. And we were the only audience. Whoever was in the bar at the time were locked in. And it was a great night. It was one of the best lock-ins ever. <laughs> great lock-in, yeah. So we had Friedman Mac and Paul Allen and Friedrich. That is incredible. Wow. And then you woke up 10 minutes later and realized it was all a dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I lived in Santa Cruz for a while too and, and uh, Neil Young used to come down from the mountains he lived up in the hills behind uh, Santa Cruz and he, every now and then he'd be inside in one of the local bars and he'd play some tunes it was fabulous and I met John Denver once in an Irish pub just below the White House called the Dubliner also and uh, we had a great night drinking and partying and uh, he sang up on stage he sang uh, Take Me Home Country Roads and um, Leaving on a Jet Plane those two Wow. wow. And I'm sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's plenty more that will come to mind <laughs> in a few minutes. But uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us today, Kieran. That was, that was a very, uh, that, was a, that was a great uh, podcast journey through it. And we went, we went through so many different areas wow. and everything. It was yeah. great. And uh, I'm looking forward to sharing all the materials with everyone. And I think, uh, I think this would be a great topic to continue through the season and yeah. share little bits especially during this time it's more important uh, than yeah. any than any and then any more time now is now there's so much opportunity in the world right now with COVID-19 to change things like with all of the the bad sides of course of COVID there's a lot of uh, a lot of new things will come out at the end of this that will be positive for the world I think uh, and mm -hmm. these are this is a I huge opportunity for humanity I as a whole to to change things it's it's the world is going to be it's almost like a what do they call them um you know there's two worlds uh 
two different uh is it dimensions or whatever it'd be yeah, almost yeah. like you looked into a parallel world that's what i was looking for it'd be almost like you looked into a parallel world when this when we come out at the end of this like it's like an alternative dimension that's that's it you know yeah, it's like yeah so i call it i call it a singularity moment because we're at an, a singularity moment for learning for education and and so the child today in your house the child that you have born today is a singularity child with with exponential potential and I measure that by saying this, and, I, and this is the end of it then. Every single child and that beautiful baby that you have, that two-year-old, that infant that's born, has 86 billion, would it be, neurons. And every neuron has 10,000 connections. That means there's trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of potential. And so we can't shut that down with bad schooling or bad parenting. And so that's why we're at this singularity moment where things are exponential potential. And that's what I love about them. Great. I think it's, it's an absolutely incredible episode. This one, just everything I've heard, it is unbelievable. I know that we're, we're kind of in our infancy as a podcast, but we're, we're going to try and get this broadcast uh, as far as we can, much like your, your 10,000 connections off the neurons, we want to see it spread out that much because it's such an important message. A, a lot of messages within this listen that could be so very important to a lot of people. So thank you very much for sharing that in-depth yeah. information. It really so, means a lot. And I, I worry a little bit because we're three white boys talking with three funny accents. But, you know, we're very inclusive of all the black and brown children out there who are struggling in, in situations that are really untenable. And we're inclusive. We welcome everybody into this learning because they all have the same brain, the same amount of neurons, the same amount of potential, and we know how to access that. Exactly. Well said. All right, thank you, Kieran. Uh, that's another uh, episode of uh, I See Dad People. We'll be sure to share uh, all of the materials from today. So please do check it out and share this podcast with your friends. Remember that we're on uh, Apple Podcast, we're on Spotify, and you can even now ask on Alexa, just ask Alexa to play the I See Dad People podcast. Uh, thank you, everybody, and have a, a great Friday. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on I See Dad People. If you would like to check out the rest of our podcasts and be the first to hear our new ones, you can visit us at icdadpeople.com or follow us on Instagram at icdadpeople underscore official. And we will see you next time. And remember, I see dad people. I see them all the time. Mm-hmm.